Welcome to the Solomon's Porch Podcast, the podcast from the worship experience of Solomon's Porch at Valdosta First United Methodist Church. We want you to be encouraged and inspired in your faith journey. So sit back and relax, unless you're driving or using heavy machinery, and enjoy. into the life of Martin Luther. Um, 500 years ago, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther did something incredible. Uh, Actually, pretty much changed the way we view how we live out our faith, how a lot, a lot of people do. Uh, He nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And in that, he had what you, I mean, this is where we get the term Protestant. He had protests. He had reasons to say to the church at the time, the way things are going just don't seem to be right. What he found over and over and over again as he studied scripture, really for the first time, even though he was a, um, a Catholic monk and a professor at the university, it was when he actually sat down and really began to study, he started to see that there were these practices, that there were these traditions that were happening in the church, which was the church at the time, and he found that they were loosely or maybe even not at all founded. They didn't have a foundation in Scripture. And so he wrote these 95 theses, which is like, you know, think of the worst term paper you've ever had to do times like a thousand. And, and, he, and he, he protested. He put it up on the church door. And he was basically saying that was the way, that was, that was the social media at the time. He was saying, I'm challenging anyone. I want to debate these things. I want to debate these, and he put them out there. And it began the Protestant Reformation. And so we are the product of something that one guy did 500 years ago, and a lot of other people played into this as well. Um, But this all kind of started there. This is what I want us to talk about in this series. We're in week three. In week one, we talked about, even though I told you guys the first week, this isn't a 95-week series, so it's just a five-week series. And there were some pillars that, that Luther based his, his entire argument on. There were some things that he found after reading Scripture that he said, this, this is where I'm coming from. And the first week we talked about faith. It was, he said it is, it is uh, excuse me, the first week we talked about Scripture. And he said it is Scripture alone. It is Scripture that is primary. In the Wesleyan tradition, we say Scripture is primary. So we can still have reason. Reason can play in and experience and tradition. But if they don't line up with Scripture, then there's a problem. And what Luther found time and again is that the practices of the church were actually superseding Scripture. So that was a problem. So Scripture. Last week, Justin talked to you about grace. He talked about the grace of God. We just sang about the grace of God and how His grace is... It's hard for us really to put our mind around sometimes because we are a a merit-based people. You know, you do something, you get something. You don't do something, you might get something worse. I mean, that's how we function. But grace is this beautiful expression that God has given to us, this act that says, look, you don't don't earn this and you don't deserve it, but here it is. And so today I want to talk to you about our faith and what that looks like. Now, if you've done the church thing for a while, the comment, the statement I'm about to make, you might kind of be like, oh, so what? Big deal, of course. And it's this, and this is what Luther said, that we are justified by faith alone. We are justified by faith alone. See, you might be looking at it going, of course. Yeah, you've got to believe. I mean, you've got to have faith in God. To, I mean, you know we have this habit in the church. Um, 
of using words sometimes and kind of nodding like, yeah, yeah, you know. And we don't really know exactly what we're nodding our head to. I want to take a few minutes this morning and talk about this word justified. What does it mean for us to be justified by faith alone? Because I think all of us kind of understand the whole, you need to believe. You know, if you're a Christian, you, you believe that, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he came in the form of a man and he gave his life. I mean, he didn't just die on the cross. That was part of it. But he rose again. He was resurrected. He, he made redemption possible. He took on the sin. He took on our sin. And he lives his life. And you go, okay, that's faith. But what does it mean to be justified by faith? Because Martin Luther said this is one of the pillars of, of, of where I, I'm seeing Scripture, where I'm seeing how the church should really be functioning, that we are justified as Christians as faith alone. Here's what happens when we're justified. Um, and I'm not the smartest person in the world, so I like to put things fairly simply. And so I'm going to do that for you guys as well. Some of you could probably explain this a lot better than I could. But here's what happens when we are justified. And um, the moment, and, and hang with me, the moment that a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, you know, based on those things I just said about who he is and what he's done, the moment a person places their faith in that, here's what happens. This is what makes us justified. Our sins are forgiven. So you might be going, of course, hello. Listen, that includes your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. We are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. I, know, I don't know about you, but that's kind of hard for me to go, but what about tomorrow when, when I'm, you know, rude, when I have road rage, you know? What happens? We are justified by faith alone. Past, present, future sins are covered over. Now, there's this term that I, I think a lot of us, the Methodists is, is in the Wesleyan uh, theology would like to, we would call this that assurance. We would call this assurance. We want to have that assurance. Isn't that a good word? Not insurance. Assurance. That, that, that knowing that, that, that Christ has done it all for me and for you. I mean, isn't that good? That's good stuff. Now, why then, okay, again, see, some of you are going, all right, get to the point, Shannon. I already got all this. I learned this in, you know, my vacation Bible school in kindergarten, you know. I don't really know if they talked about justification there, but I'm just saying. Some of us think we already have this figured out. Why then, why do we need to be justified? See, I think that's, again, that's one that people kind of go, Jesus came, did what he did, I believe in it. I don't mean to be flippant about this, but I think that's how some of us are. Why do we need to be justified? Well, the message, Romans chapter 3, Romans 3. I'm going to read to you from actually a paraphrase this morning. But this, I'm going to tell you, I'm give you some homework. Go and read Romans 3 later. Read it in whatever version you study in. I would encourage you to read it in a couple of different versions. Because sometimes it gives you, a, there might be one word that makes you go, oh, okay. Romans 3. Say Romans 3. Okay, so read that later. All right? Um, I'm going to read you from the message because I love how it is so bluntly stated about our need to be justified. We need to be justified. There's, there's not a person here that's going, I don't need to be justified. Yes, you do. Let me explain. Actually, let me let the writer of Romans explain. Beginning in verse 9 of Romans 3, it says this. Okay, the question is, why do we need to be justified, okay? Basically, all of us 
whether insiders or outsiders, start out in identical conditions, which is to say that we all start out as sinners. <coughs> Scripture leaves no doubt about it. There's nobody living right, not even one. Nobody who knows the score, nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've all wandered down blind alleys. Just a side note here. When you go and read Romans 3 later, you see this, this section of Scripture here. It's taking portions of some of the Psalms. And the writer of Romans is basically taking some psalms and plugging them in here and saying, look, this is what Scripture says about our need to be justified. Uh, what was the last thing I said? No one's living right. Okay. Um, no one's living right. I can't find a single one. This is the, look at the imagery here. Listen to this. Their, their tongues are slick as mudslides. Their, their throats are gaping graves. Their tongues slick as mudslides. Every word they speak is tinged with poison. They open their mouths and pollute the air. That doesn't mean they forgot to brush their teeth this morning. That means that what comes out of our heart is coming out of our mouth. It's not good. There is a need for us to be justified. Okay? Um, they race, I love this, they race for the honor of sinner of the year. Litter the land with heartbreak and ruin. Don't know the first thing about living with others. They never give God the time of day. This makes it clear, doesn't it, that whatever is written in these scriptures is not what God is saying about others, because sometimes we do that, don't we? Oh man, those people with their gaping graves and their bad breath or whatever it was. Boy, them. No, here's what it says. It's not about what God says about others, but about what he says to us, to whom these scriptures were addressed in the first place. And it's clear enough, isn't it, that we're sinners, every one of us, in the same sinking boat with everybody else. Why do you need to be justified? Because you're a sinner. Why do I need to be justified? Oh, because I'm a sinner. Verse 21. But in our time, here's the good news. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. See, that they've been talking about this. This is this. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between, between us and them in this. Verse 28, beginning of verse 28. What we've learned is this. I love this part. Hear this, folks. Read this. Look out on the screen and let it sink in. What we've learned is this. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. See, Jesus has, has justified us. God has made this possible through Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. It's not about what we do. It's about what God does. Really, the only thing that, that is for us to do is to, is to respond to this opportunity, is to, is to say yes to this. Now, in, a, in two weeks, uh, next week, um, Pastor Rob's going to be he's preaching all four services, uh, and he's going to be talking about the priesthood of all believers. Again, one of the pillars that, that Luther built his, his thesis on was, look, we don't need someone to be a mediator between us and God anymore. We have Jesus for that. We all have this opportunity to live out our faith. We all are priests, in effect. And we have this opportunity to, to be in ministry in the world. Bob's going to talk about that. And then the, the fifth week, I'm going to talk to you about the church. Now, kind of makes sense why Luther didn't go in hardly all about the church because he was he was kind of burned a little bit by the church. But we're going to talk about 
what it means to be a person who understands they're justified and to, to live that out in the world. That we have, and there's the, the term for that would be that we're being sanctified, the, the opportunity to be sanctified and sanctifying grace, living out the promises of, of being justified. So we're going to talk about that in, in a couple of weeks. And I want you to hear that because, oh, I'm going to rabbit trails. Let me just stick to my notes. Listen, this is what Christ has accomplished for you. What he's done, he has lived the perfect life of obedience to the Father and that, that we were, that we are unable to live. He took his, our sins upon himself. He took them, he paid for them on that cross in our place. And then he came back to life. And he made redemption and new life possible for you and for me. Christ, he exchanges our sin for his righteousness. That's what's going on. So we have been justified not because we're awesome, but because of Jesus. We're justified because of that. That's justification. And Romans 3 puts it down pretty clearly that we are all in need of being justified. Okay? And everyone with me? You with me? Okay. If someone's nodding off, just give them an elbow and say, Jesus loves you like that. Okay? So here's, here's a question I had when I was formulating this is, so why then, if, if we understand justification, we understand what Jesus did to make that possible, if we understand according to Romans 3 and a lot of other places in Scripture that we need to be justified, there's a need for it, um, why did Martin Luther make this part of his protest 500 years ago? What was the need? I mean, why, what was the big deal? Isn't it, wasn't it common knowledge? Actually, no, it wasn't. Couldn't people open up their own Bible and figure it out themselves? No, because nobody had one. The ones that they did, a lot of them were chained to pulpits in churches. So no, it wasn't like anybody could just open up their Bible or go to their Bible app and be like, what does it say? Okay, So they didn't know. And here's what was happening. The church of the time was adding a lot of what I call also's to this faith. Yes, you need, yes, you need to have faith. Of course you need to have faith in Jesus. But you also need to... And they started adding on also's, also's, also's. And, and nobody knew that there was any other way. No one, no one knew there was another option or that this might not even be founded in Scripture. So also, also, also. Here's what was happening. Yes, faith is part of being justified. But if you really are going to be in good standing with God, then you need to be in good standing with the church. And so what you need to do is you need to come to Mass. You need to come to the gathering, the worship service. Uh, at least every week, but preferably every day if you're really awesome. Okay? And then, not only do you need to do that, but you need to confess your sins. And you don't just do that on your own. You've got to go before another human being, a priest, and confess your sins. These also's. So you need to have faith, but you also need to do this. You also need to do that. And if you don't go to con confession, then you can't come to communion, which you also need to do. And all these also's, also's, also Down to the point where they were actually paying to have their sins forgiven like cash money. Also, also, also. Now, do you see why Martin Luther had a problem? As he read Romans 3, as he studied Scripture, do you see why suddenly Martin Luther was like, hold on a minute, is this, is this really how we're, we're, we're shepherding people? Is this really what we're teaching people? Is this really the truth we're imparting to people? That there's all these also's? Because what he found was our justification comes by faith in Christ alone. Alone, not an also. Alone. 
So here's what I found interesting. I mean, think about this. So all the also's I just said, but now imagine that you have to do that week after week after week, year after year after year until you die with the hope that you did enough. With the hope that you did enough. See, there's not, do you hear assurance in that? I don't hear a lot of assurance in that. Um, there are people uh, that would say, you know what, there's, there's, yeah, faith is good, but, but there's a lot of also's. So, today, even 500 years later, after the protest, you would think, ooh, good thing Martin nailed that to the door, now we've got it all figured out, right? That's, it's not the case. And here's why I say that. How many people, I would even say myself sometimes included in this, but how many people have this nagging thought in the back of their mind, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I done what I'm supposed to do to be right with God? Did I, did I, did I say that prayer right? Did I, did I, did I respond in the way I was supposed to? Am I okay? There's a lot of people who have that nagging thought in the back of their mind. What if I haven't done enough to be saved? How can a person then who has that nagging thought truly love, truly trust, uh, glorify Jesus, uh, worship God, knowing that in spite of their faith, there's a chance that they haven't done enough? I mean, they can reach the end of their life and think, oh man, I, did, I, have I, did I miss the goal? Was there something else I could have done? Because did I do enough also's? I'll just say it again. We are justified by faith alone and not good works. We are justified by faith alone and not works. Now, I will again, like I said, in two weeks, talk about this opportunity for us to, to be sanctified and to, to live uh, with the opportunity of, of, of growing in a deeper relationship with God, um, allowing um, you know, maybe some of the, the sins that have plagued us for a long time for us to, to find victory over those because of the sanctifying grace of God in our lives. We're going to talk about that. But we are justified by faith alone. No also's included. We are justified by faith alone. But I have to wonder, what about the person who thinks they still haven't done enough? Even in light of, of Luther putting this out there, either, even in light of looking at, at Romans 3, what about the person who wonders if they have if they, if they just haven't done enough yet? That, that's really got to affect the way someone views Jesus, doesn't it? Doesn't that really have to affect the way that you might respond to Jesus? That you might pray to God? I mean, are you really trusting Him with your everything? If there's part of you going, but I'm really not even sure if you and I are good. That, that's really got to affect that. Luther declared, and we believe as, as Methodists, that it is in salvation by grace through faith. That our, our, faith, our faith comes, our salvation comes through our faith. And that's available because of the grace of God. So I ask you this question this morning. Here's a question I want to pose to you. With, with 500 years of experience behind us as Christians, do we believe this? Do we believe 
It is by faith alone. Do we believe it? Do, do we really believe it is by faith alone we're saved? And I'm going to offer a, a litmus test for us this morning to see how that goes. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Actually, I'm going to offer you two scenarios to see if you, you might relate or you know what I'm talking about. To see if we really believe in this. So let's find out. Altar calls. Anyone know what an altar call is? Anyone? Just me? Come on. Am I going to have to come forward? If I, no, you don't. Does anyone know what an altar call is? Okay. Now, now listen to me. You, you've probably been a part of a church. You've seen a part of a church where altar calls are, are pretty common. You know, where the preacher gives an altar call and the, the expectation that, you know, strongly encourage people to, to come and respond and maybe give their life to Christ for the first time. Or maybe, maybe to come and rededicate themselves to Jesus. Okay, to come up and do that. So here are these two scenarios I want to give you about what I think, this is just my opinion here, about what I think is really going on, likely going on, in an altar call. The first scenario I offer to you is this, and we'll talk about this person. I call them the frequent flyer. Okay? The frequent flyer. Here's, here's what I see. In regard to an altar call, here's the frequent flyer. Um, you, may, there, you may have observed this. That the person that, as soon as an altar call is given, they're gone. Like, you know it, they're going to go. It's like clockwork. You're sitting by them. If they're in the middle of the row, you just go ahead and move because you know they're going. Okay? You've seen whole rows, whole pews of middle school girls go up for the altar call. Okay, you're not sure if they all just miraculously got saved in that moment or they're just supporting one of them, but you've seen it happen. They just all go. You just get out of the way. Middle school girls, you get out of their way. Okay? We've seen that. We've seen the, the, you know, the person that just always seems to really, really mess up and then they really, really feel bad about it later? Yeah? Okay. They're going. It's going. All the calls given, they're going. They've got to get it right. They've got to get things right with Jesus. And then maybe I probably notice this more than you might in, in, in the ministry side, Justin, you probably, you know, there might be the person who's come to your church for the first time and they respond to the altar call and they want to join the church and they want to get baptized and they want to join a serve team and they want a counseling session that afternoon and then you never see them again, okay? This is also what I call a frequent flyer, okay? Now, there's other people that respond to altar calls, but these are some of the ones that we've seen. Listen, I'm not against altar calls at all even though I kind of joke. That's just my personality. I believe that we have this great opportunity when we come together collectively in worship to respond to how God, by His Holy Spirit, ministers to each and every one of us. And, and, that, and to me, um, but, we're not, but I'm not going to make an also about it. We're not going to say, if you really heard from God today, you're going to do this, fill in the blank. No, our response to God, it might be a, a multitude of things. You might feel like you just have to stand up. That to sit down, you just can't. Your body's like, no way are you going to sit any longer to this. You might raise your hands. You might stay in your seat and put your head in your hands because you're just like, I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to. I'm just here right now. The Holy Spirit of God is ministering to me. You might you might go to a kneeler and kneel, okay? And yes, if the opportunity is there, you might say, I've got to get out of my seat and move. There's nothing wrong with responding to God. But we've got to be careful about the offsets. Okay? We've got to be careful about that. And what I would like to remind a frequent flyer, gently of course, um, is this. That the basis upon which we are accepted by God isn't about what we do. Or what we fail to do. It's what Christ has done for us through his life 
through his death and through his resurrection. So, so that if you happen to respond to an altar call, listen, I just got to say it. The altar, you responding to the altar call isn't what saves you. Okay? It's what God has done. It's what God has done. You know, walking down an aisle and rededicating your life doesn't, you've got to be careful that that doesn't become an also. Because then you might become a frequent flyer. And you think, oh man, I really got to go forward because I really messed up. So if I don't go forward, then things aren't good with me and God. So I better respond to the altar call. You see how it becomes an also? Okay? Christ saves us. We receive this gift of salvation by faith alone. And we can be confident in this. Here's the second scenario about altar calls. Okay? And um, if, if the other scenario didn't hit too close to home, then this one probably will. The reason many of us can kind of chuckle a little bit about the certain types of people who go forward for altar calls is because we have watched them go. We have sat in our seat immovable and watched them go. When an altar call has been offered, many of us sit back and we just watch and observe. And if the others are called frequent flyers, and all call these the frozen chosen. Okay? So, you might say, I'm not either of these, but I'm, I'm thinking these are two really big groups when it comes to altar calls, okay? Frozen chosen. The frozen chosen just sit back and observe, and they observe people going up to the altar. And here, again, this is just my personal observation in life. There's no scientific study in this, but I'm going to offer it to you because I have the microphone. Frozen chosen, sitting there watching people go up, responding to what was just said, responding to what was just offered, thinking to ourselves, I'm not going up there. I'm not going up there. What, what is their problem? Can, can they please just get it right this time? I mean, I really hope this time it sticks. Why do they keep messing up? I know what they did. It's a good thing they're going up. This is what we do. Frozen chosen. And here's what I think is really happening. Here's what I think is what we're really, and I, I put myself in this way here. Why can't you just be as good as I am? Why can't you just be as good as I am? You need to, can you just please try to be as righteous as I am? I mean, I've set, and here's my standard that I've set for myself, me and my friends, we've set the standard. You know, yeah, we're not perfect, but I mean, come on. Can't you just be up here? Can't you be at my standard? This is what we do. It's not about God's standard anymore. It's not about God's righteousness. It becomes about ours. Can't you just do this? Can you stop messing up worse than I mess up? Come on. Frozen chosen. We have our standards by which we judge ourselves and we judge other people. And as so long as we live up to those false standards that we've set, not messed up too bad or, you know, not getting caught messing up, you know, that's important. We follow these little man-made things, these little rules, then we don't feel too condemned by God, right? So that must be, mean that we're forgiven, or at least more forgiven than that guy. Frozen chosen. No need for me to walk in front of the church. No, sir. I don't need to rededicate my life. I'm good. God loves me. Look at all the good things I've tried to do. The bad things I mostly avoid doing. And then on the very rare occasion when the frozen chosen 
when the Holy Spirit maybe works in them, you know, maybe they heard something in the message or in the worship or just in the presence or maybe in participating in the sacraments, and they feel God moving and stirring them, and they maybe they feel this overwhelming desire to repent before God. You know, the last thing a frozen chosen is going to do is get up and move. Oh, because they've already passed judgment on those who do. We want to be people who respond to God's Holy Spirit. And, and like I said, that can be in so many manner of ways. We want to respond to Him because of what He is, he is working in us. And, and I know it's easy to say, but we need to do it regardless of, of how others may be responding. Listen, I hope, you, I hope you can see my point I'm trying to make. Just because we say we believe in justification by faith alone, we say, yes, I understand. I need to be justified. Romans 3 makes that very clear. I am a sinner. I need I need salvation from God through Jesus Christ. And understanding that by putting my faith in that promise, I am justified before God, even though I really don't fully get it. I mean, the fact that He has forgiven all of my sins, that's where we need to be, without a bunch of also's, without self-righteousness, without a false sense of spiritual superiority. Or even maybe feeling as if you're the, worth, the most worthless creature that's ever walked on the earth. We are saved by Jesus Christ and Him alone. None of us gets it right most of the time. None of us have our act together most of the time. We've all messed up so badly that we all need to rededicate our lives to Christ every day. If not every hour... None of us can do anything to deserve or merit God's love or His forgiveness. And so I say, thank God that He sent His Son. Thank God that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save us in spite of that fact. So, being the first Sunday of the month and we'll be participating in communion, as we turn our, our eyes and our attention towards that, I want to say this again. Please hear this. The basis upon which you are accepted by God isn't about what you do or what you fail to do. It's what Christ has done for you through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. You know, even though uh, Martin Luther was a pretty important guy, I mean, like I said, he, he, he kind of busted on the scene 500 years ago. We celebrate this, and, and a lot of other people came alongside of him. And, um, and it really changed the way we view faith. I mean, he changed the way we view how do you live this out in, in even a day-to-day -day way. That's, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty amazing. I mean, it wouldn't be cool like 500 years from now for someone to be talking about you and the impact that you had on Christianity. But... Um, there was one who came before him, and uh, it was Jesus. And he came in the form of a man, and he was sinless, unlike you and me, right? We've, I think we've straightened that out today. We understand that. He was sinless. We are not. And he came and he made a way. 
He made a way for us to be in a relationship with God where all the also's kept not adding up. We, they tried every also they could, every law you could think of. Go read your Old Testament. Go read Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Man, there was a lot of also's. And it just wasn't enough. And so along came Jesus. And so this morning, as we, you have the opportunity, this table, if you've never been here for a communion Sunday, I say this table is open to all who desire to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We don't have a members-only section. It's here for all who desire. And when we come to communion, you know what we don't do? We don't come to take it. We might say that. I'm not taking communion. We're not taking it. We're receiving it. So when you come, come with your hands out. Allow the person serving to place that bread in your hand. And they'll say something like, this, this bread or the body of Jesus broken for you. Think about that for a moment. The sinless one breaking his body for you, the sinner. And after that bread has been placed in your hand, then you can take it and you'll be able to dip it in a cup and the person serving will say something like, the blood of Christ poured out for you. I mean, again, think about that. The sinless blood of Jesus poured out for your sins. He paid the price. That was the price, the penalty for you and for me. And you take that bread and place it in your mouth. And then you know what? You can go back to your seat. You can go to kneelers. You can keep standing. You can respond. If the Holy Spirit of God is working in you, we'll spend a little time in worship, singing. We have this beautiful opportunity today to be reminded. I love the fact that it's bread and juice. You taste it, and you smell it, and you feel it. And God engages us in that way. He's done this through Jesus Christ. I'm about to serve those who are going to serve you. And so uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to serve them. And while I'm serving them, instead of observing, me serving the people who serve you, how about spend a little time in prayer, contemplation, maybe confession before God, and then a moment of worship will direct you on what to do. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for Jesus Christ. This is life. Thanks for listening to the Solomon's Porch Podcast. We hope you heard some good practical news in this episode that you can apply to your life. If you'd like, we'd love for you to review our podcast on iTunes and share it with your friends. You can also support our ministry by going to theporchvaldasa.com slash give. Until next time, stay classy, listening friends.